0: So this week we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 27 and we're going to go all the way through uh, verse uh, 16 in chapter 28. All right, so we got a lot of ground to cover this week. If you'll remember, last week we saw Paul's defense before King Agrippa. Uh, the governor Festus uh, set up this big ceremony so that they could show his uh, support from uh, King Agrippa and they all came together and Paul gave a wonderful defense of the gospel based on the resurrection of Jesus and this week we're going to see that Paul is finally beginning his journey to Rome we've been he's been promised that he's going to stand before Caesar he's going to give an account of the gospel before Caesar and now after waiting in prison for more than two years he's finally getting that opportunity in Acts chapter 27 and 28 and so we're going to take a look at that we're going to begin in verses 1 to 12 And I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. So let's pray together. Father, we're grateful uh, for your word. We're grateful for uh, the ability that we have to hear from you and to know what you want from us as your people. And I'm grateful uh, for the gifts that you've given to your people so that we can sing praises to you. And we have people that can play music and help us accompany that. And so I pray that our hearts are lifted up from that, and that we would be honored, honoring you and glorifying you through the preaching and teaching of your word this morning. We love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. All right, so beginning in verse 1, Acts 27, verse 1 says, When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had boarded a ship uh, at Ramidim, we put to sea intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia Aristarchus a Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends and receive their care when we put out to sea from there we sailed along the north northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us after sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia we reached Myra and Lycia there the Centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, with difficulty we arrived off of Cnidus Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete, off Salmon. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lassia. By now, much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous." Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there and hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. So in these 12 verses here we don't have a whole lot going on. What we see is the narrative of Paul's journey to Rome is beginning off with a ton of struggle. Right, they're trying to get there. It should be a five-week trip from Caesarea to Rome. And we're already seeing that they're struggling to make any kind of headway because the weather's not permitting them to go forward. Right? We also see here that Paul and his companions have been put into the hands of a Roman centurion named Julius who seems to be a good man. Uh, if we when we read through this, you'll see that he is has shows favor to Paul. Seems like a decent man. He treats Paul kindly, even though he is a prisoner. He let Paul go visit some friends when they went to Sidon. He la- allows Paul to go, probably under guard, but he allows him to go and he allows him to have his needs met there uh, at Sidon. And so we see that God is already at work here watching over Paul he's watching over his companions uh, both Luke because we know Luke is that there because he's the narrator right and he said we when we got on the ship when we went to Italy so Luke is traveling with Paul again at this point and it says that Aristarchus a Macedonian from Thessalonica has joined them as well so these three men are traveling together And we see the weather is not being favorable for making good time says the winds are against the ships they're trying to board each one of these different ships and every time they get on one the winds are not favorable and it's taking a really long time uh, for them to make their way to Rome and the ships that they're getting on are probably very small probably just what we call would call port jumper right they go from one port to the next port they stay really close to the to the shore because if they get too far out, they just don't have the ability to sustain sea travel. So they stay close to the, the coast, and they're hopping from port to port. Uh, and it says that they're determined to plot on, even though that things aren't going well. Because Luke tells us in verses 9 to 11 that they're sailing out of fair havens because it's not a suitable harbor to ride the winter out in. Right? Paul says, though, this isn't a good idea. He says that the Day of Atonement is already over, so this is, a ca- this is a reference to the calendar. He's saying we're not going to have any better weather than what we've had in the past because we're getting into the winter season and the storms are going to be crazy in this part of the world at that time. And so he's like, we can't go if, if this, the weather's going to be this bad. And they say, well, we're, this isn't a good place to stay. We can't stay in Fair Havens for the winter because it's not a good place to uh, winter in and so I don't know maybe it was maybe the damage to the boat would be severe if it got pounded against the the waves there the coast or whatever I'm not sure It doesn't say why Fairhaven can't be wintered in um, but it says in verse 10 that Paul saw this voyage going badly right he says I know these waters I've, I've sailed a lot in my time in ministry I know this part of the world this isn't going to go well because of the season that we're traveling in and it says that when he presented that Julius ignores Paul's warning and paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. And I mean that's fair, right? I mean you got to think that this captain knows these waters. He's probably done this a lot. He should be wise in his abilities of doing his job. I mean if I get into a boat somewhere, right? And I'm I'm like, "Excuse me, I know we're doing this and but I'm a pastor." And so I don't know that this is a good idea. And so someone would be like, yeah, pastor, I don't think I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to the captain of the boat that has done this a lot. And so who are you going to trust, right? You're going to trust Paul, who, while he may be knowledgeable of this area, he's not a ship captain, is he? And so Julius decides they're going to find a more suitable harbor to stay the winter in. And we find out that this trip that was only supposed to take five weeks is going from bad to worse. Check out verses 13 to 38 with me. This is a long stretch, so stay with me. This is when a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called the nor'easter came rushing down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Calda, we were barely able to control, get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing they would run aground on the citrus, they lowered the drift anchor and in this way were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night an angel of the, of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, "'Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way he has told it to me. But we have to run aground on some island.' When the fourteenth night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors thought they were approaching land." They took surroundings and found it to be 120 feet deep, and then they sailed a little further and sounded again. They found it to be 90 feet deep. Then, fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skift into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, "'Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved.' Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skift and let it drop away." When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, "'Today is the fourteenth day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. After he broke it, he began to eat. They were all encouraged and took food for themselves.' In all, there, in all, there was 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. And so we see the bad weather that had already begun slowing them down at the very beginning of this journey has fallen into a full-on storm that's battering this ship. Right? The sailors, they're fighting to keep this thing upright. Right, They're fighting to keep it from crashing into anything. They don't know where they're going. Right? It says, for, for many days, they didn't even see the sun or stars, so they have no way to navigate. Right? They probably can't see the coast. They have no idea what's going on, and they're just trying to survive. Right? In verses 21 to 26, Paul speaks up. And at first glance, it looks like Paul takes a shot at the sailors and the captain with what he says in verse 21. It said, there, you should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. And at first thought, when I first read this, this, you know, as I'm going through this, I thought, hey, Paul, not the time, right? We're sitting here trying to survive. Your I told you so is not necessary, right? They, I think they know that at this point. They're probably not going, man, I'm glad we didn't listen to Paul, right? So at this point, they're sitting there thinking, hey, yeah, we should have listened to that. Uh, this is not a time for an I told you so. But according to the commentaries that I studied in preparation for this sermon, Paul isn't saying Hey, I told you so. He's not saying this with any kind of arrogance. It seems like that in the English translation, but apparently in the original Greek, it was more, Hey, you didn't listen to me before, so I need you to listen to me now. Right? It's not an arrogant thing. He's like, I've got something to say. It's very important, and I need you to pay attention. Right. We got off on the wrong foot, maybe. But here we are. We've got another opportunity and I need you to pay attention to what I have to say. Right. So it's not a ha ha. I told you so. It's okay. Now you really need to listen to what I'm saying. Right. So Paul lets them know at this point that an angel of the Lord has approached him and told him the plan's still in place. Right. You are still going to stand before Caesar You are still going to share the gospel with them. And God has graciously allowed you to have every man on this ship along with you as you're heading there. So there's 276 total. So all 275 extra on top of Paul will also make it to land and make it there safely if they will do what God has told them to do. Right? Paul encourages the men because he believes what God has told him. Right? It will... If they will heed the Lord's will, everybody's going to be okay. Right now, in the midst of this, Paul is setting a great example among all of these people, right? We can learn a lot from how he handles this situation, right? He doesn't preach necessarily. We don't have any information about him actively standing up and preaching the gospel in this because just in the same way that this is not the time for an I told you so, it's probably not the best time for a sermon either. These guys are trying everything in their power to just keep the boat up, right? So we don't see him uh, sharing the gospel in a way that is outright. Just, you know, turn to Acts chapter 27. We're going to talk about the, the kingdom of God right now as they're fighting to, be a, to stay alive. Um, but we do see that he talks to the crew about the God he serves, right? He's, he says, right, the God I serve said that this is going to be okay. The God I serve says that if you will listen to him, we will be able to get through this and not one person will be lost. Even if we lose all of the cargo and even if we lose the boat, every every life here will be sustained. Right. So we see him talking about the God that he serves. And he also gives encouragement to the crew. Right. I'm sure everyone is freaking out at this point with the nature of this storm. It's crazy. And Paul is sitting here giving encouragement to all of these people. Why? Because he believes that God's promise is true. God has told him, you will stand before Caesar. And guess what? Caesar's not at the bottom of this ocean. And so he knows for a fact that he is not going down with this boat. So he encourages the crew. He's a prisoner, and yet he's telling all these guys, hey, follow the Lord that I follow, and everything's going to be okay. Right? This is after being in jail for years for a crime that he didn't commit. Everybody knows it. He should have been released many times at this point. Uh, but because of people trying to gain political favor with the Jews, they've kept him in prison. And yet Paul still sees it as an opportunity to serve these people that he's with. Right? No matter what the conditions are that Paul finds himself in, he still sees it as a ministry opportunity. Right. Yeah, I'm a prisoner on this ship. it's it's going around in circles and we don't know where land is, but in the midst of all that, I'm still going to serve the people that God has sovereignly placed me around. He is setting an incredible example. He is concerned for the welfare of everyone who is on the boat with him. But it says, you see there, some people don't believe. And obviously, we're going to have people like that in our ministries, right, where we are trying to serve. Some people are not going to believe. So some men doubt, and they try to abandon the ship. They're trying to get on the, the skiff, the lifeboat. They're going to try to pretend to throw out some more anchors, but in reality, they're trying, to, they're, they're trying to leave. And Paul discerns what they're doing. He calls them out, and action is taken to make sure that they can't do it again. So they cut the lifeboat away. We're, we're, everybody is staying on this boat because Julius believes Paul. Julius believes that everything that Paul is saying at this point is true, and so he's making sure that nobody can, can leave. And then it says, When daylight came, on the last day of the storm, Paul encourages everyone to eat. Right? So they've gone 14 days in this storm with no food. So they've been battling and battling day after day, probably very little sleep. And Paul says, hey, it's day 14. This is coming to an end. You need to eat. You need your strength. And so it's very different when you see people scrounging around trying to find some some form of control to sit down and eat is showing, hey, I trust you. I trust what you're doing. I believe in you. Right. So he says, eat, no one's going to die if you listen to me this time. And so we see him in the midst of all of this as a prisoner. He gives thanks to God for the meal. And then proceeds to eat. And then that leads the crew to follow his example. And they also begin to eat. So you've got Paul in the middle of the storm with all these other people. And yet he is shining brightly. It's like, I can't see the sun. I can't see the stars. But I see the glory of God shining brightly in this man. Right? He has given God. All the praise, all the honor, he's showing that I trust in the Lord that I serve. So, even though it is probably a dark night of their soul because they have been weeks in this storm, Paul is shining brightly for the glory of God. And he says there that they lighten the ship to be able to get closer to the land, right? The heavier the ship is, the, the more it's going to sink down into the water. And so, they're trying to get as close to the land as they possibly can. Uh, They're trying to beach the ship. They're trying to get it all the way up on the sand. And so they're throwing stuff off, right? And and it's a last-ditch effort because they said they threw the grain out, right? So there's nothing else to eat at this point. So it's all or nothing at this point. And we're going to see that the sailors in verses 39 to 44, they see their opportunity, and they're going to take it. It says there, "...when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach." They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. And so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone reached the shore. And so the sailors, they see land ho, right? The the daylight breaks so they can finally see again. They see that there's land there. They don't recognize the land, but they're like, hey, that's better than being out here in the water, so we're going for it. And so they drive the ship into the, into, hopefully into the beach, but they hit a sandbar that was close to the land, but not quite there. So the plan then is, okay, the soldiers are going to kill all the prisoners so that they can't get away, right, which is their job, is to make sure no one gets away. So they're going to kill the prisoners, So they're not responsible if anyone gets loose. But here again, we see Julius stepping up, good man, likes Paul apparently. And so he steps up and he says, no, we're not killing any of these people. Everyone can go because he wants them to be able, he wants Paul to survive. If they're killing all the prisoners, then why didn't we kill Paul? right? So he wants him to survive. He says, if you can swim, get in the water, head to the shore. If you can't swim, grab something, jump in, and hopefully you'll float in the right direction at this point. Right? And it says that using this method, everyone makes it to land safely, just like the Lord said. The Lord said, if you follow what I told you to do, everyone's going to make it. And they listened, and look what happened. Everyone makes it to shore safely. So we see here a dichotomy of obedience to the Lord and the sovereignty of God. Right, God is sovereign. He says, if you do what I say, all this is going to work out in your favor. But it's going to require your obedience. You have to do what I have told you to do. And we see that when all these people do exactly what the Lord told them to do, God sovereignly let them all make it to land safely. Right? God said, you're going to be all right. You just have to do it my way. And we can learn something from that as well. Right? Life happens. But God says, if you will do it my way, if you will do it the way that I told you to do it, then you will be blessed. And that doesn't mean an easy life in any way, shape, or form. But you will be blessed in knowing that you are shining brightly in this dark, crazy world that we live in for the glory of God. Right? You will be blessed for that. Right? Even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, you will be blessed if you follow what God said. And He will sovereignly bless you in a way that you may not ever see it until you get to heaven it might just be treasures in heaven that is part of your blessing here on earth but we if we listen to God there is promise of blessing right after that we learn in Acts chapter 28 that the island they landed on was called Malta we see that in verses 1 to 16 so let's look at that together It says once safely ashore we then learn that the island was called Malta The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself onto his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man no doubt is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead after they had waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him. They changed their mind and said he was a god. So he goes from being a murderer to a god in that amount of time. It says, Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Reggem. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day, we came to Petulai. There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to welcome us as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so here we see uh, when they finally find land in Malta, the, the locals are very welcoming. They had a fire going, they let them come in. Uh, and Paul, we see again as a, is a, always a servant leader, right? After all of this that has gone on, I think it would have been okay for Paul to just sit down and take a minute, but he doesn't. What we see is that he starts gathering up wood and trying to put that into the fire. And as he does this, a poisonous snake climbs out and bites him on the hand. I mean, cannot catch a break at all at this point in his life. And everyone thinks he's going to die. That was a viper. That that man's not going to make it. So obviously he's found judgment. So that's what they think, right? Because when bad things happen, it's because you, you deserve it, right? That's pretty common in most of the world. And so they saw him get bit, and they're like, well, that's it for that guy. But as we know, Paul is going to stand before Caesar, right? He's not, Caesar's not standing around that fire. And so Paul is not going to die at the hands of this snake. Now, listen to me carefully. This is not an excuse for you to ever bring a snake in this place. Okay? Like, do not proof text this and ever walk in this building with a snake in your hand. All right? We are not those kind of people. All right? We're not dancing with snakes. It's not going to happen. All right? This was a, a description, not a prescription. We don't want any of that here. All right? So Paul gets bit, shakes it off, does not die. And so, like I said, he goes from being a murderer. They thought, well, he obviously deserves to die because the gods have tried to kill him, and he didn't. So he's like, oh, well, he must be a god himself. And so it's amazing how fickle we can be when we see different experiences. So it says that Paul, though, after shaking this off, we learn that Publius, the leader of these people, serves them for a little while, and it comes to Paul's realization that Publius's father is in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul goes to him, praying and laying his hands on him. He healed him. And it says, After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So, I mean, you've got Paul who has been at sea for weeks and weeks. Paul who has been battered and beaten by the sea. Paul who has been bitten by a snake when he finally reaches the land. Paul is still a servant leader. Paul is still serving... All of these people on his way to speak to Caesar in Rome, he finds opportunities to serve. He uses these opportunities to tell people about the gospel and he serves them in a way. He heals all these people on the island and it says that they stayed there for three months and then they finally head on to Rome. When he gets close, he's greeted by brothers and sisters there. And so in the process of being in prison, Paul wrote the letter uh, to the Romans so our book of the Romans, he wrote that while he was in prison. And so he's been in contact with these people, whether or not it's been you know, a back and forth, who knows. But he has reached out and he expressed his desire to go there. And I'm sure they probably found out in the process of all this that Paul was making his way there. Paul was going to speak to Caesar and everybody knows it. And so as he's making his way there, they're waiting. And then when he finally shows up, it says that he's greeted by brothers and sisters there. And it says that when he saw them, Paul took courage from that. That There is something special about the church. There's something special about gathering together with the people of God, knowing that they believe the same way that you do, that they want to encourage you, that they want to be there for you and help bear your burdens in the same way that you should want that for them. There's something special about being with the church. And so Paul, I mean, he had a couple of brothers with him but here he is he sees the church he sees that they care about him that they love him and it says that he thanked god and took courage and we see throughout this process that paul has been given a lot of freedom as he's waiting to present his case before caesar he says he was allowed to have people come visit him in his home he's living with a soldier right who's watching over him he's making sure he doesn't take off but it's not a very strict regiment there so people are allowed to come and we're going to see next week how this all wraps up as we finally finish the book of Acts right it's been a little over a year I think since we started this And so what do we do with this I mean I don't know if any of you are planning on going on a cruise anytime soon I might rethink that after reading about this because they didn't go very far off the coast and look what happened to them I don't want to be on a boat out in the ocean personally Uh, but what do we do with this alright how do we apply what we see here and how Paul responds to this situation that he's in. Number one, let's trust in God's promises. Alright, trust in God's promises. If God has promised you that something is going to happen, then it is going to happen. Alright, we've talked over and over again about how the, the, the grand narrative of Scripture has been one story from beginning to end. And we see in Christ, God fulfill so many un- unrealistic expectations. right? Not one of us could come anywhere close to, to meeting two or three of these prophecies that God has said would happen beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter three and yet God fulfilled all of them in the process of bringing Jesus as the Messiah. And if God is going to keep that promise, why would he not keep any other promise that He has ever made to you? right? So we got to trust, in God's promises but to do this you have to read God's word. Right? I don't know. Maybe you are someone that God speaks to on a regular basis. Paul seemed to be. Right? An angel of the Lord showed up often for Paul and explained to him what these next steps are, his next steps were. And I I don't have that in my relationship with the Lord. But I have God's promises, right? If I'm sitting here thinking I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would speak to me. He has he's given me 66 books that talk to me about from the beginning to the end how things are going to play out and what my role is in this life right so god speaks to you every single time you open up his bible or the bible so when you read his word you see his promises and you know that they're going to be true and so you've got to trust in those promises right sin broke this world, so it means that life is hard. None of, like don't believe any of the prosperity gospel nonsense where God's promises are always about your well-being. Right? God is not as interested in your comfort as He is in your glorifying Him. Right, so remember to trust the promises, even though when life is hard, when things are going out of control, the promises still hold true. And that brings us to number two. Hardship doesn't mean that you have sinned or that God is angry with you. right? Because sin broke the world, it means that our bodies break down and get sick. It's part of the curse. right? That means that people fall asleep at the wheel and they crash into loved ones that end a life, sometimes in our mind, way too soon. right? It means that a spark in your home can make everything change for you in an instant. None of this means that you have sinned against God and are being punished. Remember, Paul is right in the middle of God's will for his life on this trip. Your part of this journey is you will stand before Caesar. And he is doing everything in his power to honor God in the process of going to stand before Caesar. And so he still has to ride out this storm. He still has to deal with being bitten by a poisonous snake. Right? He still has to deal with the fact that he is imprisoned for wrong reasons. So just because you're going through hardship right now, it does not mean that God is angry with you. It does not mean that God is punishing you. It's just that we live in a broken world. But, number three, God brings comfort in suffering. God brings comfort in suffering. Sometimes it's hard to see. It's hard to see God reaching out to us with love and understanding as we suffer because the pain is so great, right? Sometimes the obstacle seems so immense. It's hard to see God's comfort in that, right? Maybe the financial burden is so daunting you don't see any way out of it, right? Pick whatever suffering you may be experiencing or know people to have experienced, right? It's hard to see God's provision in all of that when we're just striving striving to keep our head above the water right? but it, the reality is is that God draws near to us in suffering in many different ways we have to train ourselves to be able to see what those ways are so we have to begin by thinking mindfully about the way that God relieves us in our suffering, the way He brings us comfort in our suffering. We must remember to look for ways that He is providing for us and offering us help as we struggle. And we also must learn to be thankful for all of God's blessings to us, even in the midst of a massive storm in our life, whether that be a real storm or a metaphorical storm. All right, Paul says this in Philippians 4, verses 4-9. through 9. It says rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice let your graciousness be known to everyone the Lord is near don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's any moral excellence and if there is anything Praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So, if we are struggling to find comfort in our suffering, we may need to change the lens with which we look at the world. Right? The way we see the world will change the way that we interpret our suffering, and it will change the way that we see God striving to bring us comfort in the world. Right? God is striving to make you more like Jesus. Romans 8, verses 28 to 30, Paul says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Right, so we know for a fact, this is God's promise, that God is using every hardship in our life to make us more like Jesus. He says, consider it all joy when we face suffering and hardship in James, right? Because what that's doing is it is giving us endurance to, to make it through this crazy world that we live in. And so if we are able to look with that lens at the way God is trying to bring us comfort, we can completely change the way that we perceive our suffering. And lastly, know that God is working through your suffering. Right? Sometimes that work is focused on someone else. Right? Your difficulty, your hardship might not have anything to do with you. Your difficulty and your hardship might be meant to give someone else the ability to anchor themselves in the storm. Right? Maybe you're better at seeing whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable as Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 4. And because you're better at that, then you experience hardship so you can help others who have the, don't have that ability in order to see that to be able to make it through that hardship and focus on God. So maybe you suffer so that they can find help in their suffering. How do you feel about that? How many of you would sign up for that? I'm going to suffer so that I can help someone else through their suffering. Are you willing to suffer for the good of someone else? Right? I mean, isn't that the center of the gospel story? Isn't that the very thing that we profess to believe happened for us? Jesus was willing to take our punishment for our sin so that we would be able to be restored in our relationship with God the Father. In the process of that, He was betrayed, He was beaten, He was abandoned, and He was killed so that we could have His righteousness as He took our punishment for our sin. That's the gospel story. What about you? Are you willing to suffer for the benefit of someone else? Are you willing to take on part of that burden in order so that they can see the beauty of the gospel as you struggle and fight and seek comfort in your, in your hardship? Are you willing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and suffer for the benefit of someone else if God calls you to do that? I mean, it's a good question. It's something that we need to think about on a regular basis. We may not understand why things are happening to us in this moment, but we should be mindful that God can use any and all of our hurt in order to help someone else see the beauty of the gospel in it. We need to know for certain that God does not waste our pain. None of the suffering that we experience in this life is meaningless. It's not. Paul wasn't saying that everything that happens to us is good, but it is used for good for those who love God because we are made into the image of Jesus through that suffering. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing that suffering and you're having trouble seeing the land. You're having trouble navigating because the sun and the stars seem to be blacked out in your life. Well, Guys, God loves you. He has not moved. He is there for you in that suffering. And maybe you are someone who is near someone who is suffering like that. You need to be a Paul to them in their suffering. You need to bring them encouragement. You need to serve them well. You need to show them that the God that you serve is there with them. And He has made promises to them if they will just follow Him and be obedient they will find blessing that is beyond any comparison to anything that they might be going through in this life. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for the example that Paul gave to us as he experienced this crazy storm here at the tail end of the book of Acts. I pray that we would be mindful of our role in this life, both in our suffering and in those around us who are suffering. Lord, help us to be a light shining in the darkness. Let us be people who go through suffering and turmoil differently. And that people see that and ask about it and give us an opportunity to share our faith in You, the hope that we have, that knowing that this life isn't all there is. But there are promises of future that will be full of joy, no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no death, And let us cling to that as we go through this life, serving one another and being served by the church as we have that need. Lord, I ask all this in Your Son's precious name. Amen.